when you say founder fatigue, we're at that point now, it's like, I've been doing this a long time, you know, and I don't want to just grind out like more, 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 more features, more this, like I want to challenge myself and and in what we can build and the next 10 years is going to be a little bit more creative and maybe it's not just software right like I work with brilliant creative interesting people who have things that they want to play in that's not just writing code and so it's like and Chris and I are the same way you know we have dreams of owning a hotel one day and and all kinds of stuff and so it's like why can't Wildbit morph into something that's a little bit more flexible that way right like just a lot of really smart people doing really cool stuff. Hi, and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this week's episode, I talk with Natalie Negel, co-founder and CEO of Wildbit, about how she and her co-founder and husband have run the company for the past 19 years and have achieved both an effective but also calm organization. During those 19 years, Natalie and her husband, Chris, have built a lot of products and have shut down many of them. The ones that have stood the test of time have often been SaaS, Currently, the company maintains Postmark, Beanstalk, and Conveyor. Wildbit currently employs 30 people who are spread between six countries. Natalie's main goal goal throughout all of this time has been to keep the company the same place to work. She's never taken VC funding and has never imposed high growth or unsustainable goals for the company. At the start of the year, however, Natalie and Chris introduced the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, to help the company become more effective and productive. So far, the experience has been great, and they're already seeing great results. It has made them far more effective and aligned, especially as they operate a four-day work week. At SaaStock, we also implemented EOS at the start of the year, so this is as much a rundown of how it works as it is an exchange of notes and advice on how to make it better. Listen on to here how Natalie has assured the company has been around for nearly 19 years. But, you know, longer term thinking involves a whole different set of metrics, right? It's, a, it's controlled growth. You know, you can't, you can't chase unicorns because then the, your chances of survival are very slim. And I think that's how we've always run the business is a much more controlled, you know, I run a, you know, Postmark is a product that is used by some of the biggest companies in the world. And we're extremely methodical about the types of things we say yes to and we don't have a sales team and we don't do enterprise sales we don't build custom features you know we we say no a lot because I want to control very tightly like how far we go how far we stretch ourselves how much risk is out there you know so that I can say in 10 years hey I've been around for 29 years now you know and, and it's just a different it's a different mindset how they rolled out EOS my kind of rollout was Chris and I spent a good almost two months at the end of last year playing with stuff so reading it uh workshopping it with uh, advisors and ourselves working on worksheets writing a bunch of communication and really trying to like hone in because i i really I, I love the book but i wanted to adapt it to wild bit you know we have three products they're in different stages of their lives we also have wild bit you know so we had to understand a little bit like how do we want to plan and and i don't really waterfall we want to make sure that things come back up as well so like we just had to kind of workshop that so chris and i did a lot of the work in the first two months then we rolled it out to the leads in a, a one week off-site where we just kind of shared it. And I really, I tried to focus less on EOS as a concept and more on this is the new Wildbit operating system. This is what I want to try. And it's based on these principles and here's the book if you want to read it. But really it's like, this is for Chris and I to be able to get a better handle on the business and make sure we're not in the line of, we don't need us, right? You need us for 
big strategic things four times a year in theory, right? And one 90 minute meeting a week. And other than that, you guys have everything you need and the autonomy to run. One area in which EOS has already had a massive impact in Wildbit. I think where it was really valuable was dwindling that down to like really succinct messaging. Like here's why we exist, here's what makes us different. And especially on a product level for a product like Postmark, it was really important to say like, Let's cut like some of the words out and really get to the meat. Like, why does Postmark exist as a product? What makes us special? Why do people pick us? And having that as a single page document has been really powerful, especially when we go into planning, because every quarter, you know, it's easy, your year one plan, you do a year plan and you get into the quarterly planning and you're like, yeah, we just talked about all this stuff. We know exactly what to do. You get into Q2 and Q3 and it's all of a sudden shiny new objects. Oh, we should work on this feature. We, we Somebody said this is really cool. And it's like, well, hold on, let's go back to this thing we all agreed to in January that said, this was critical. This is what we have to get done this year. And everybody just kind of says, yeah, you're right. Natalie is one of many diverse voices we'll hear from at SASDOC 19 in Dublin this October the 14th to the 16th. While we have plenty of stories of high growth and stellar metrics, we will also feature the other equally as effective ways to build a SaaS company by growing slowly and sustainably. Joining her on five separate tracks will be around 150 speakers representing a variety of company stages and verticals all geared up to help you, the listeners, grow your SaaS, get traction and scale. Grab a ticket now uh, at the best possible price at sas.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Natalie Negel, CEO of Wildbit. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Uh, great to have you on the podcast, and uh, we'll also soon be welcoming you uh, and your husband to uh, to Dublin uh, for for Sastock nineteen. So that'll be great to to, to meet in person, connect in person uh, then, along with uh, four thousand other SaaS founders <laughs> and uh, execs. So uh, quite a few. Hopefully, I can find you in the in the crowds uh, or in the corridors, but uh, or on stage. I mean, probably quite easy. Natalie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what is Wildbit? So I am. Uh... I uh, live in Philadelphia. I have two, I'm have married to my husband, who's also my co-founder, Chris. We have two little girls, nine and four, so we're a little bit busy. But uh, we've been running the business Wildbit for almost, it'll be 19 years, October 25th. So we're about to enter our 20th year, which is wild and super exciting. Um, and we have products that we've built. Uh, we run, uh, build and run, run our own software as a service products. Uh, obviously, that's why we're on SaaS going to SaaS stock, but we've had products that ranged, uh, that we've built and sold, built and shut down and, and continue to run. And so right now we have, uh, three products that are all targeted towards software development teams. It's just, you know, we kind of build for ourselves. We have a product called Postmark, which is transactional email. Uh, it's all your ways to communicate with your customers. So everything from welcome emails to, uh, news, uh, Welcome emails, password resets, the uh, comment notifications, that kind of stuff. We have a product called Beanstalk, and which is uh, hosted version control. And then we have a new product that we've been working on that's in kind of a private beta right now. It's called Conveyor, uh, and it's our kind of next iteration on Beanstalk. It's how we, we hope to help software development teams be more productive and more focused in working in their software. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but I work with 30 brilliant human beings all over the world. I'm extremely, extremely lucky. Uh, to be just with them. So it's a it's a remote organization or semi remote. So we're we've always been we started the company 100% remote. We ended up opening a Philly office because Chris and I are in Philadelphia. 
uh, in the U.S. and we had hired a Philadelphia person and so we like opened a small Philly office and then it was kind of this like hybrid for a little bit. We still have a small Philly office for just people who are around here. We have about eight people who are in the Philadelphia area who come together, but we run the entire organization remote first. So all the calls are, you know, from your own desks, everything's asynchronous, everything's kind of all meetings are shared asynchronously. So everything's run remote first, but because we have folks in Philly, it just kind of was nice. And we have people come from all over the place to to Philadelphia for like small meetings, small retreats, things like that. You said 18 years or 19 years now, nearly in, in operation for, for, for a while bit, right? Pretty Im- impressive. Um, are, are you trying to build like a hundred year company? Like, do you ever consider kind of, you know, exiting or have you had like founder fatigue or is it just getting better, you know, each year? Oh my goodness. There's always founder fatigue after 19 years. Uh, we, I don't think we have like a hundred year plan, but I, we'd like to be around for another 10 years. Uh, and the what's been really nice for us as the two only two people I tell the team like the only two people who can't leave right so the only two people who can't get a new a new thing try something new is we've had the opportunity and the flexibility to a little bit reinvent the company as well so when it started out 19 years ago as client services we did like brochure nightclub sites and flash and things like that you know and then eventually got into products and and did products at a time when uh, Beanstalk's 11 I think almost 12 so you know launched a SaaS product when there wasn't a lot of SaaS products and it was a very different environment back then had to reinvent again to try to start building a more highly functioning organization uh, and reinventing again now to really like lock in our operations and and move the business into a little bit more intentional growth for not just profit sake but growth for like how we can contribute back and that's kind of a different like a a bigger more grandiose goal like 10-year plan but you know we give ourselves the flexibility and the space to think about what we want and what gets us excited. And so we're at that, when you say founder fatigue, we're at that point now, it's like, I've been doing this a long time, you know, and I don't want to just grind out like more, 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 more features, more this, like I want to challenge myself and and in what we can build. And the next 10 years is going to be a little bit more creative. And maybe it's not just software, right? Like I work with brilliant, creative, interesting people who have things that they want to play in that's not just writing code and so it's like and Chris and I are the same way you know we have dreams of owning a hotel one day and and all kinds of stuff and so it's like why can't wild bit morph into something that's a little bit more flexible that way right like just a lot of really smart people doing really cool stuff uh so that's kind of it, it it's almost like you have to like do it yourself you know it's either that or sell right I mean those are my basically my two options it's like I get bored and tired and exhausted just like anybody else would in an organization only they get to go shop around for another company and I'm kind of stuck here so I think that's been really helpful to be able to just take a deep breath and say all right what do we want and then why not build an organization that fills that need just a a random thought I have because actually I've, I've never had a guest on the show that has been running their business for 19 years so you've got the honor of being the, the, the first or the, the longest at, at the helm. Obviously, there are a number of industries and like sort of, you know, old industries and, and like businesses where it's a family, you know, owned business and, it, and it's been, you know, run for many years and, you know, passed on through through generations, right? Do, will we see that in, in SaaS? Do you think there'll be like family owned SaaS businesses that are 50 years or 100 years old, which is passed down to, to families? Or is, is this just a, a rather kind of random thought? I've had similar, I don't know if I've thought of it from that perspective. I have thought about the longevity of SaaS and, and this kind of this model and also just the 
the nature of kind of how the these businesses are growing and being funded and all these things. And I, I think right now that my there's going to be a kind of a, a a balancing at some point, right? Of this like what it's not going to feel like this is some radically different type of business model that has never existed before and that needs to be growing at 50, 100, you know, 500 times a year, you know, uh, 500% growth and all these kind of things. And when it levels out, that's when you can create longevity. But it's like if we can't, if you can't have slow, sustainable, manageable growth that can endure highs and lows, right? I mean, those businesses that you're talking about that get passed down, like I, I, I have friends who have, you know, who are second generation in those types of businesses uh, and, I'm involved in other organizations where like in traditional business. And when you talk to those kind of businesses, they have plateaus, they have, you know, the markets go in certain directions and they have to survive those changes. You know, we have not had to do that as a business, as an industry yet. And we just chase like kind of the up and to the right forever. That's not long-term sustainable because you're not going to, because the markets will change, the world will change. There'll be a war, there'll be things, right? Things are going to happen. And we haven't really adapted to that yet. I think as an industry, if you think of kind of the traditional up and to the right, if, you know, if your churn's too high, you're dying. If you're, mar- don't hit market, whatever product market fit, you're dying. All these things. It's like, if you take that away and add traditional business sense to it, like supply and demand, you have to make more than you spend, you know, all these kind of things. And yeah, absolutely. Why not? see that as just another way where manufacturing was a big thing the technology is obviously a big thing and, and building online based businesses with recurring revenue could definitely drive but you know longer term thinking involves a whole different set of metrics right that's it's controlled growth you know you can't you can't chase unicorns because then the your chances of survival are very slim and i think that's how we've always run the business is a much more controlled you know I run a, you know, Postmark is a product that is used by some of the biggest companies in the world. And we're extremely methodical about the types of things we say yes to. And we don't have a sales team and we don't do enterprise sales. We don't build custom features. You know, we we say no a lot because I want to control very tightly, like how far we go, how far we stretch ourselves, how much risk is out there, you know, so that I can say in 10 years, Hey, I've been around for 29 years now, you know, and, and it's just a different, it's a different mindset. You mentioned earlier just about obviously you know over the years the kind of the reinvention you know of the company and and uh, specifically you know operations and uh, as we sort of understand uh, like earlier this year you introduced EOS which uh, for those at home stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System I believe by uh, and it's a book called Traction by Gino Wickman now. Funnily enough, we also at the beginning of the year, um, or I picked up the book last year after a recommendation from a number of founders that have been speaking at SASDOC and, you know, I'd had the, the, the pleasure to, to speak with who were kind of, you know, swearing by, you know, this book is changing their business, right? So, uh, of course, it, it piqued, my, piqued my interest and I read it and came back to my team and said, look, oh, you know, uh, we're going to do this and, you know, we need an operating system and it all kind of makes sense. But, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about how did you find out about EOS? Why did you think you needed to implement this? What has your experience been? Yeah, so I am actually part of an organization called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. I think Gino is actually part of that at some point. And in EO, EO is basically a, they have a lot of like YPOs, things like that that exist. But EO is uh, a group for entrepreneurs to come together and you create these small forums, small groups, like eight, 10 people that you meet monthly and you become really close with. And their their vision is really that so much of success in entrepreneurship comes down to the individual entrepreneur, which we all know, right? Like 
the health of, and mindset of the person is going to obviously bleed into the business. And that's a long way to say that a lot of people in this organization, EO, have you know double, tripled their business just by reading this book. And so the the core of, of the traction and the entrepreneur's operating system, it, a lot of it is, has existed in other ways, right? There's not, it's not tremendously novel in piecemeal, but what's so interesting for us was how it all came together as an operating system with a singular purpose of removing yourself from being the one that runs the show, right? From being in the middle. And for Chris and I, over the last couple of years, like we've been actually, I guess over the last like four years almost, we set a goal that by 20 years, we want to make sure that the business doesn't require, like if we get hit by a bus, and so I tell my team, if we fall out of an airplane because we travel a lot together, like I don't want this entire organization to just like die and you guys have to sell it off in piecemeal because so much of it was relying on us. And so we knew that we had to start building, documenting and like what's in our heads, right? What do we do that just feels natural that we haven't thought about? And how do we also remove what I felt was a lot of pain in strategic planning, like big longer term visioning, because it was so unorganized for us that it would be, especially with multiple products, it was so unorganized that it felt like a constant, like all year long, we're like thinking big. It's like, what about this? And then two weeks later, you're thinking, and and it's just, it felt very piecemeal and unorganized. And our team was also sharing that sometimes they wake up and they don't really know why we're doing the things that we're doing. Like, you know, we're a small bootstrapped, you know, client funded team. So we have to be really methodical about what we build and why. And, you know, when the team was like, we just don't really know why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. Like we get that it's important, but what's the bigger picture? And so what attracted me to EOS in particular was it takes kind of these like multi-prong look at the entire organization, not just how you plan. It's not a replacement for OKRs, right? Like it's it's a bigger piece than that. It's who's on your team? What's their function? Are they the right people? Are they in the right seats? How do you long-term plan? How do you meet as a team to organize? Uh, one of the things that Traction talks about or EOS has is this level 10 meeting that they call like this kind of meeting of your leads. And it's been... If you ask me like one thing that's been the most transformational, that would be one of like two that I would say. That has been life-changing for us. We do this 90-minute meeting, which at first the team was like, you're crazy. We are not sitting in a 90-minute meeting. And I was like, let's just try it, right? We're just going to give it a shot. But it's all issue solving, right? We're looking at the issues and we are now actually solving things throughout the year that they're small, we catch them early, and we solve them so fast that like, I don't have to add them at the end of my, you know, my State of the Union letter the next year, all right, this year, we're really going to tackle this one thing that we've been pushing off for so long. So I think, you know, just for us, it was like with the longer term goal of being around for another 10 years, and kind of shifting the core purpose of Wildbit, we needed to kind of achieve like operational excellence. And that's what I keep saying to the team, this is the year of operational excellence. So introducing leadership and what that looks like, uh, introducing career development paths for inside inside the team, and just operationally, like everybody knows, we plan four times a year. Everybody knows it. Let's say, as as you said, I think um, you you know when when you look at uh, what EOS is, it's all fairly kind of common sense things that you know every business should be thinking about, and probably are doing. You know, a lot of them, but it's putting it together in in, in a system, right? And and just giving you that kind of structure to do it. So, um, if if I take like e- each one kind of uh, individually, so around like the the vision, you know, of Wildbit or the various companies, uh, do you think that like before you implemented EOS, was the vi- you know 
could everybody in the organization tell you what the vision of the company was or was that something that really kind of you and your, your husband Chris kind of like you really knew it but actually you know maybe not everybody else like fully knew where you you, you know where you wanted to take the company I think the visioning piece came almost at the same time as we were prepping for EOS. So I think at that point, like when we introduced EOS and the, the framework and like the, the worksheets and stuff, it wasn't so shocking to see that like Wildbit is going into what I, I call a Wildbit 3.0 and like where we're headed and all these crazy things. I think where it was really valuable was dwindling that down to like really succinct messaging. Like here's why we exist. Here's what makes us different. And especially on a product level for a product like Postmark, it was really important to say like, let's cut like some of the words out and really get to the meat. Like why does Postmark exist as a product? What makes us special? Why do people pick us? And having that as a single page document has been really powerful, especially when we go into planning because every quarter, you know, it's easy, you're year one plan, you do a year plan and you get into the quarterly planning and you're like, yeah, we just talked about all this stuff. We know exactly what to do. You get into Q2 and Q3 and it's all of a sudden shiny new objects. Oh, we should work on this feature. We, we Somebody said this is really cool. And it's like, well, hold on, let's go back to this thing we all agreed to in January that said, this was critical. This is what we have to get done this year. And everybody just kind of says, yeah, you're right. Good point. Like that's what, that's why we're here. And I don't even have to say it, right? Like they just do it themselves. But it's like, oh yeah, that thing that we talked about is still really important and we need to function that way. So I think it's it's been the succinctness that's been really valuable and the just kind of continuing to go back to it that uh, for me is a lot of the power of EOS. On the people side, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, every business, you want the right people. Jim Collins would say, you, you know, you've got to have the right people on the bus, right? Or I think he said something like that. In this instance, you know, you're looking at, well, looking at the team and saying, you know, does everybody get it? You know, do they want it? And do they have the capability to do it? Are they the right the right people in the right seats? When you looked at that in the EOS, did you go through this kind of uh, the, like the, the people scorecard or whatever it's called? Uh, and did you have to make some tough decisions? Did you find out that actually you got some wrong people, you, you know, in, in the right seats? We did do that. And we looked at a bunch of stuff. And I, as a culture while, but has always been like, we look at people first and then we try to find seats for them, which this was very different for us, right? It's like, well, what do we actually need? Um, and so that was a big kind of learning learning for us. And then I think we did have some, some, some changes over the first two quarters of the year. And part of that is due to the fact that there were more clearly defined objectives and responsibilities. And that, I think, uncovers things, which, you know, and if you read Traction, he says, like, it will change things, right? It's going to show things in a way where you can't really hide anymore. And I think without a solid operating system, and I've talked to a lot of founders, especially like, you know, we're 30 people probably so late to this game, but, you know, it's kind of easy to hide when you don't really have a good leadership management structure and, and clearly identified goals because I'm fighting the next fire, right? And so it's like, this is important and this kind of stuff, yeah, maybe it's not going so great, but it's fine. It's not important right now. It's not It's not urgent right now. And then it kind of escalates. As soon as we implemented EOS, you could start to clearly see there was no hiding anymore. And so I think there were some challenges and people, you know, it, it turned out to not be a good fit for some people. And, you know, that's just kind of how it went. Were you, were you already using OKRs before the implementation or was this, uh, you know, is, is this the first time? We had we had used OKRs uh, a bunch. We went through phases, we used them, and then it got too difficult and then we tried them again. And it got, my struggle with OKRs is uh, a lot of times, and I think maybe what resonated with EOS is 
to some degree, we know what we have to work on. And I, I felt like we spent so much time wordsmithing objectives that I, and maybe we just were doing it wrong. But for us, it was like, what's this big thing that we want to do? And then how do we know we're doing it? It's like, well, we know the big thing. I don't want to wordsmith it. And then here's the 10 things we have to do to get there. And it's kind of like, it just felt more natural to us and less painful. We used to sit around the room trying to figure out our OKRs for like a whole day. What's the objective? What's the objective? What's the key result? And I was like, you know what? It's just too much for us. It just didn't feel right. Uh, have you always been data driven, you know, as a company and like running meetings by, you know, using scorecards or run departments by, by scorecards? No, 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 no. no, no. We're, uh, this is a, a lot of that part's like really new to us. And it, it's, it's been less about pressure and more about visibility, right? I think when we, when we catch things so much earlier and it's all out in the open, it just feels, you know, it's like what you, you can't track what you don't met or you can't fix what you couldn't track. Right. And so it's like, we are now able to see things ahead of time, but no, we've been like, yeah, we're just small. So it's like, like I said, well, up until January that we had no people managers, it was just me and Chris. So like, you just can't do a lot of those things when you have 30 people that you're trying to figure out how to hang out with. So I think now that we have like more structure, the team's so much happier to have clearly defined goals and clearly defined objectives and a path forward. And you're able to measure stuff a little more easily. How did you introduce EOS and, and what was the response? So my, my kind of rollout was Chris and I spent a good almost two months at the end of last year playing with stuff. So reading it, uh, workshopping it with advisors and ourselves, working on worksheets, writing a bunch of communication and really trying to like hone in. Because I, I really... I love the book, but I wanted to adapt it to Wildbit. You know, we have three products. They're in different stages of their lives. We also have Wildbit, you know, so we had to understand a little bit, like, how do we want to plan? And and I don't really waterfall. We want to make sure that things come back up as well. So, like, we just had to kind of workshop that. So, Chris and I did a lot of the work in the first two months. Then we rolled it out to the leads in a, a one-week off-site where we just kind of shared it. And I really, I tried to focus less on EOS as a concept and more on this is the new Wildbit operating system. This is what I want to try. And it's based on these principles. And here's the book if you want to read it. But really, it's like, this is for Chris and I to be able to get a better handle on the business and make sure we're not in the line of we're not, we don't need us, right? You need us for big strategic things four times a year in theory, right? And one 90 minute meeting a week. And other than that, you guys have everything you need and the autonomy to run. So we did it that way. And then once the leads kind of we workshopped that a bunch and made some tweaks, you know, and played with stuff. And we rolled it out to the team. Uh, I took the advice of the book and we didn't roll out individual vision. Well, focus, I call them focus plans, but individual like year long plans for the individual uh, for the team, because I felt like that was going to be too much. So we kind of rolled out the bigger team, like the product uh, wide goals and, and objectives, and then the team wide goals. So like the engineering team and the design team and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we just rolled it out. We had like a big two hour meeting. I, I sent a bunch of stuff ahead of time. So people got to read it and, and like review it and stuff like that. And we, we did a couple meetings, one about just the general, uh, how this thing's going to run and what we're going to do. And here's where I think some challenges are going to be, but bear with us and let's keep iterating on it. And then I did a second one where it was like, here's the, the vision document we put together. Is this accurate? You know, are these goals that we've put together accurate? You know, are these tasks for the quarter accurate? You know, and so then we had like a, a bunch of time as a group to discuss that. And then individually in the teams, they were able to discuss that and what they wanted to add. And then over the first three months, the first quarter, I just, there was a lot of follow-up. There was like, how's this feeling? How's that feeling? 
are these meetings working? What's your agendas look like for your meetings on Mondays? You know, and our team really loved the leader, the leads team for our 90 minute meeting really did use the scoring at the end of the meeting. So in, in the book, in the, in the kind of methodology, the 90 minute leads meeting ends with a rate meeting from a zero to 10. Right. And at first everybody was like, and Chris especially was like, we are not doing that. That's ridiculous. And I was like, let's just give it a shot. Right. And I'll, I'll rate it first. So nobody thinks like they're rating me, they're rating the meeting. And it was all sixes across the board. And I was like, awesome. Now everybody tell me how to make it a 10. And we just kept inching our way up. And it was so powerful for us to be able to be honest and say that didn't feel right. Like that felt like crap. Let's figure out how to improve it. So I think we just like, it was like a slow rollout. We're still new. I mean, this is, we just did Q3s. And so there was a lot of more conversation. We have a whole list of things we're still going to change and kind of improve in our meetings and our cadences of how we work. But it, it was, it, it's, it's a slow transition is kind of how I see it. On the yeah, agree. And like on, on the ninety minute meetings uh, with the team leads, are you doing those on a weekly basis or what was the case? Every Thursday. Every Thursday. We only we only work four days a week, so Thursdays are Friday. Um, so Thursday at the end of the day or in the beginning of the day, my time. So I guess some people different, but uh, we do it a ninety minute like first thing in the morning for us. And actually, the Pacific Coast they get up really early, but they do first thing in the morning for them, and we do a ninety minute every week. And you can't miss it unless you're on vacation. And why you 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 just uh, casually drop that in there that you you only do four days a week? Why do you only uh, do four days a week? I mean, why not? But like, why not? What, what's right. what, what, what's what's your what's your reasoning? I mean, I wouldn't mind, but I, I feel that I don't have enough time in the week to do a four day week. But maybe I'm wrong. It, it was long. This is our third year in the 32 hour work week, so it's just been kind of a a, 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 a longer trajectory. But we uh, had started with really enforcing a 40 hour work week. That was kind of our first step into this to say, I don't want you working on the weekends. I don't want you working on night. Like we need to plan as much as we can get done in 40 hours. If it's not enough time, then we have to plan less. And maybe that's just a factor of I've been doing this for a long time and I know that like launching a feature a week before you, you know, a week late is not going to change anything. So it's like, I just don't, don't stress out about stuff like that. And we also don't have the pressure of VCs or anything like that. So, you know, we knew that there's no fire. The only fire is the one we place on ourselves. And I, uh, that was really important. Following that was a really great book called Deep Work by Cal Newport that I sent to everybody on my team. Highly recommend it's one of my favorite books. Um, and Cal talks a lot about uh, deep work versus shallow work, you know, deep work being, you know, you're, and everybody calls it something different, right? You're, you're what you get paid to do, right? Your, uh, your, your unique ability, you know, read, read a book, you'll find it, right? But this is like the work that that's really meaningful, the one that's actually going to push the business forward and push your career forward. And uh, then there's like the other stuff, right? There's the meetings, the collaborating, the, um, the updating tickets and posting comments and, and all that stuff. It's important work. It's not that it's not, but that usually takes up most of the time. And so he spent a lot of time studying the brain's capacity. And what he found is that the science shows that the brain's capacity for deep, meaningful work maxes out at about four hours a day. And that's your like the person who wakes up and writes novels, right? They wake up in the morning, they write for you know a couple hours and then they're done for the day because they know that it's done, like everything's gone. And so we looked at that and said, well, we're already kind of pushing this for a 40-hour work week, but I still feel like myself personally at 3 o'clock, I'm spent, right? Like, what am I actually doing that's productive? Uh, and by Monday, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, like, I'm not fully refreshed, right? Because I have kids. Uh, you become a weekend warrior. You work till Friday. You, you 
run Saturday, Sunday. You put the kids to bed on Sunday. You're like, oh my God, okay, let's plan the week. And it's like, there's just, my mind's not fresh. And so we decided on a summer experiment that said, let's just drop Fridays. And they're not four 10-hour days. They're four eight-hour days. And let's drop Fridays and see what happens. Summer went great. We kept extending it every quarter. And so the first year we looked back and we actually got more work done than we did the year before. Like we looked at releases and just how things felt and, and the cadence of the team. And it was just much better. So we've continued to extend it. I mean, we've made a ton of work to make that happen. So the operating system, EOS, is a great example of I put like – can't can't work four days a week if we don't know that we're working on the right things, right? If we're not perfectly organized, if we cut a ton of meetings down, like just a tremendous amount of stuff down, we cut out a lot of crap. We looked at redundant work, things that we can automate. You know, so it's it's a, it's a massive work, but it's just been transformational for people. I mean, and for myself, like today's Friday. I'm I'm gonna you know I'm hanging out with you, and then I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna go exercise. I'm gonna go to my kids play, and I promise by Monday I'm running to the office. And so is my team, right? By Monday, you just feel so clear-headed. Uh, and I think also, and the science shows this too, but those three days off, we solve so many of our problems subconsciously. And so I, I see this in engineering all the time. There'll be this like d- difficult challenge. And Monday morning is always like, I figured it out. Like, it's just, you just need that space, right? You need that space for your mind to just in the back do what it needs to do to solve big problems. So it works extremely well for us. I'm super proud that we can do it. And it's, you know, it's always a work in progress. And I still think there's some iterating to do, but it's very important to me. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much sold. Uh, it's, it, it, it sounds, it sounds great. And it's like, why isn't every, everybody doing this? But, uh, maybe we'll, uh, have inspired, inspired thousands of, uh, uh, of listeners to, uh, uh, to change to this model. And it'd be interesting. So, uh, if, if anybody does change to a four hour or sorry, four hour, four day, that's not Tim Ferriss of so the four, the four day work week, um, let us know. Uh, um, so, uh, that'd be cool. Uh, has Natalie, uh, inspired you? Um, so, um, and, and just quickly, I know we're running out of time, like back, back to traction, you know, you said that you were, it's only August, so you implemented it beginning of this year. So you're still getting going with it. Is it too early to kind of tell how it's really, you know, uh, affecting the, like, what is the ROI on the business yet? Um, I don't think it's too early. I'm calling it. I think it's massively successful. And again, it's not voodoo, right? It's really just longer term planning. It's being flexible when you need to be, but setting longer term goals, being clear on what the expectations are. Uh, we're working on something right now that has been something that's been a really important thing for us for the last three years, and it's finally getting worked on this year. And it's a massive effort, full team, the whole thing. And we would not be able to, I'm convinced that we would not be able to do it if we didn't have a clearly articulated, like everybody's agreed to plan with specific goals and targets that we need to hit. And it's just been, it's been wild how, how much it's kept us calm and sane and focused. And I think that's maybe that's one of the un, like unspoken. I, it's funny, you guys are doing it. I, as soon as I started doing this, I started talking to people like, oh, we use traction, we use EOS. And I was like, nobody talks about this. Everybody talks about OKRs and all the fancy stuff that software feels like they invented. Um, but the, the thing that I think has been so powerful is it really creates uh, calm and, and, and peacefulness in an organization, I think. It removes the, the kind of sporadic, 
kind of nature of a lot of what we do. It's like a new feature or a customer said this or, you know, I don't know what we're working on. Why are we doing, what are your, what is your team working on? What am I working, you know, it just creates this really calm, like it's a few documents, it's not a million, right? They're all updated, everybody's got their name, everybody knows who's responsible for what. So you can wake anybody up at 3 a.m. and say, what are you working on and why? And they'd be able to answer you. And I think that just, that's really part of Wildbit's ethos too, is to create a really calm working environment, one that feels really at peace and at harmony with your personal life and i think eos does that really well just creates that clear transparency and i'm really really grateful for it talking talking of of personal life i mean our our final question you know on the podcast is always you know how do you stay healthy and sane on the SaaS journey i mean you with the four-day work week and you know some of what you explained about the the weekends uh you you know we get a little bit of a picture but you know what what is your general kind of you, you know um, uh, physical and mental kind of well-being um, as you're running a company into you know 19th year you know how do you how do you keep uh, I guess healthy and sane to continue to want to do that you know uh, each day each week each year yeah I mean on a practical sense like I have to exercise at least five times a week to not lose my mind uh, I, that's my that's my uh, moving meditation but that's also the kids too right there's just like the whole package I also found that I need to have things outside of work, like things that are important and meaningful. I do a lot of work with nonprofits and I'm on a chair of a board of a small nonprofit school. And so I do like little things like that, that I think challenge me mentally in different ways. So I feel like I'm growing as well and I'm doing new things. Uh, and you know, I, I think I'm lucky in that I run the business with my husband, so it's okay to bring work home. Uh, so that, that really helps, but it also, it, I have found separation to be important. Like when I come home to the kids, it's the phone's away. It's just being really present and mindful of, of what they are. And just I, I, trying to keep a clear head that like it's all relative. And so even when we have big issues, it's like I just try to look ahead a little bit more and just say, okay, this is today. What's tomorrow going to be like? And it's usually a lot less scary than today feels. <laughs> so I just try to kind of keep moving forward and seeing if that kind of settles the crazy but it doesn't work all the time awesome well um natalie uh Nagel, uh ceo of wild bits um it's been such a pleasure talking to you today on the the sas revolution show and as i say really looking forward to uh meeting you in person at, um in dublin um at sas.19 uh during uh, october the 14th to 16th and your and your husband and looking forward to your talk have you have you is it already published on the agenda what you'll be speaking about yeah i'm actually i'm going to be on a panel talking about remote work with Bridget okay. Harris, who's a good friend of mine. So very cool. Yeah, Bridget's that. cool. Yeah. She's yeah, very I like cool. Bridget. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, looking looking forward to that. And thanks for, for being a guest on the show today. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and you've picked up valuable lessons from Natalie. If you're using EOS or thinking about it, get in touch. We'd love to hear about your experiences. Email us at podcast at sas.com. See myself and Natalie at sas.19 in October, the 14th to the 16th, uh, along with 4,000 other SAS founders and execs, around 400 VCs and about 150 uh, great speakers. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.